Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Live from the NASDAQ market site in the heart of New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. Here's what's on tap tonight. Biotech boom. Bristol Myers announcing a $14 billion deal to buy Karuna Therapeutics, the deal giving this lagging sector a lift today. Will a rotation in the markets breathe new life into biotech? Plus, Nike's no good rotten day after. The stock tumbling over 11% on the back of its earnings. Is this a Nike problem or another tell about the health of the consumer? And later, a Friday Fast Request Live. Ahead of the final week of the year, we are taking your questions about what you should do with your money. Hit us up on X at CNBC Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee coming to you live from Studio B at the NASDAQ on the desk tonight. Tim Seymour, Steve Grasso, Courtney Garcia, and Guy Adami. And we start off with another historic run for the markets. The S&P staunching today's late-day pullback to lock in its eighth straight week of gains, its longest winning streak since November 2017. The index now less than a percent from its closing high. The Dow is down slightly today, but still up since Monday. It and the Nasdaq also up eight weeks in a row. But while it's been a strong year for markets broadly, not everyone came along for the ride. Megatap mega cap tech, semis, software stocks, home builders, all seeing outsized gains this year. On the other hand, utilities, regional banks, energy stocks, and staples all far underperformed the market. But are the laggards due for a comeback in the new year, or will the same leadership continue in 2024? And we've seen hints of rotation uh, in recent weeks. Guy, can that continue? It's going to be hard for the leadership this year, I think, to have the same type of year we've seen next year. So, But, I mean, these stocks have been unbelievable. Congrats to everybody that's been bullish. I'll say this. Energy, I think, is underappreciated in terms of what's going on, valuations and sort of the tailwinds. I think the space has. Warren Buffett just was up to 28 percent in Oxy. I know that's Oxy specific, but he clearly sees something in the space. And you've seen some of these levered names actually making all time high. Marathon Petroleum, for example, and PSX. So I think the leadership is probably going to come from the similar names. But I think the forgotten names like energy are going to be okay. I think utilities could actually catch a bid because if, if rates are going to be falling, you'll wind up catching a bid where you're going to earn that income. Just, just judging whether money comes out of money markets and goes into the market or whether it goes into individual stocks, th- those are two different things. Energy names really haven't caught a bid. So if you look at ExxonMobil, Chevron, even the companies they're taking over have been in a declining trend. So I would stay tech. And I would go for yield. I guess a lot depends also, uh, you know, about what you believe to the degree to which rates will actually decline next year. Some people will say 100 basis points easy. Other people will say no. Well, if if rates go down as much as the market's pricing and Fed funds, I think we've got problems. I don't think it's good for equities. And and I I, I also none of us are suggesting that as the clock strikes 12 on New Year's Eve, uh, that suddenly allocation begins into new sectors. Um, but, but I do think that there are places that have really underperformed energy after two years of outperformance. So let me just join in on that. I think it's going to outperform. I think ceasefire and peace and all these things that, that we know could be risks to it. Um, I look at where we see Brent well supported somewhere between 65 and 70. But more importantly, Guy referenced the uber cheap valuations within the sector. And again, relative to the S&P, not you know, they're always cheap. Um, I think healthcare is also a place 
place where stock picking is going to work. Uh, it's underperformed as a group. Uh, I think, you, you know, real estate's a case where I don't really like real estate for next year, but this is the other side of it. Where is positioning? I think real estate is so unloved and so undervalued, and, and I think you're going to still get uh, some decent places to be investing there. But right now, we finish the year with the same leadership still leading. So semiconductors outperforming the S&P by 47 percent, triple Q's or Nasdaq 100 outperforming the S&P by 30 percent, making relative new highs as we go into this last week of the year. I don't think that changes overnight, even though I'm, I don't want to be overweight in information technology. Yeah, and things really change end of October. You finally start to see all those interest rate sensitive companies are really outperforming. So think of things like real estate, which you mentioned, banks, which you mentioned, um, even things like small caps, which tend to take a lot more financing as rates go lower. That's going to end up really being a boost to those kind of categories. And I think that trend is likely to going to continue next year. Um, and you're saying, well, what if rates don't come down? And I do think that is something to look at where rates really right now are basically where they were right before the financial crisis. And actually things did tend to do well where when rates have been at this time. So even if they don't come down, the fact they've already come down, I think is going to be a good thing for the markets. Can I ask a question? Guy sitting over no, here smirking. No, about I'm not smirking. Really I'm not smirking. It has me uncomfortable. Well, the, I'm not well the it's the holiday season. You're in beautiful red. Thank Courtney's you. in green. Thank it's you. Steve's got his lovely jacket on. What what do you got going on over there? You have a pocket watch too. Well, first first of all, what are you going to <laughs> a St. Patty's Day? Let me throw it right back at you. Throw it back funeral? at me. I mean, come on, man. It's the holidays. It's time so, to be festive. I should be you look festive. like you do every single day. I, that's I a mean, fair that's point. Not I like I like, but that's Scrooge? not his naugahyde. I said it. The naugahyde vest is missing apparently. Yeah, no. yeah. I, I I think there's a time for naugahyde, and I'm not sure it's this decade. So um, it was probably more in the 70s. The vest is nice yeah. though. Thank the you. The vest is nice. Everybody looks nice, but except let's say Swizzle. The, the debate about Fed cuts continues into the first quarter of next year. In terms of positioning, how, where should we be for that first quarter of uncertainty? It seems like there is agreement that Fed rate cuts will happen probably by, by the time we enter the second half of next year. But as for the beginning part, we're still in that debate whether or not it's going to be strong. Right. So, we, so obviously technology will benefit. Resource trades are going to do very well. There's no way, in my opinion, if they're going to cut rates away, they, the market seems to think the dollar will be under pressure and these resource names that have done pretty well will continue. Gold mining stocks have done remarkably well. I think they finally will play catch up to the underlying commodity, which, by the way, I think is going to still go higher. So I think resources, energy, and to a certain extent, gold miners, if you really want to whittle well, down. Well, you're mentioning that dollar and, and around 107 and you saw it in September and you saw it in November or, you know, right around when rates peaked. Dollar's down five and a half percent from that level. And, and, and so there's no question to me this is an environment for gold. Uh, miners uh, with gold doing 14 and a half percent from Let's see from yeah early early September, but gold miners have done about 26 and a half. As Guy says, they've underperformed. I think it's a great place for copper. I think it's a great place for miners. Um, I do think it's an environment where uh, we're going to go into next year and, and we're going to go into next year and the job market's going to be the same job market we went out of the year with, which is it's going to be stubbornly um, supported. It doesn't mean that I like best the lowest uh, or, you know, Lowest unemployment is behind us for sure. I think I think it's weakening. It's what the Fed wants. But all this is taking a lot longer to play out at a time when the street is calling for earnings growth. So if you're expecting the first quarter to be awful, I'm wondering what that event's going to be. Yeah. So so I, I do like the metals. But if you look at oil, if you look at the energy names, they are definitely correlated to the price of oil. And in there's been a supply glut 
right now. So energy production in the U.S. is at all-time record highs. I don't think they can perform well in that type of environment. Metal's okay, but I, but I, I also believe that this run has been the investor offsides. So where does that catch up? Probably middle of January, the market has a test, and then we ramp right back up into a bull market. So under what circumstances will um, Magnificent Seven, Big Cap Tech, whatever you want to call it, do well? If the economy is softening or if the economy is strong? Yeah, and I think— Or both. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these companies are well positioned. They they have good balance sheets. I mean, they're they're continuing to sell, and as the consumer continues to be strong, and they're continuing to sell products and services to them, that is a good thing. I just don't see them outperforming to the same kind of magnitude they have previously. And I think that's what you want to look at as an investor. I still want to own the Magnificent Seven. I'm absolutely not getting out of those things, but I don't want to overweight them and throw money out them after they've had such a run especially if we do start to see rates come down. I don't think those are as well positioned to outperform as some of these other interest rate sensitive categories. Or is the passive money in it just too well, strong? The, the, passive money, the passive money is in it. And also what we're seeing right now is a function of you don't get fired as a money manager when markets go down and you lose money. You get fired when markets go higher and you're not in the market. And, and that's what's going on right now. And so if you didn't own uh, NVIDIA and if you didn't own some stuff like Lilly, uh, you know, but more importantly, if you didn't own at least the top of the weighting of the S&P, you're going you're gonna to own it now. And I think you're going to go into 24 and say, I'm not going to be short this stuff too much, my bogey, unless you're really stubborn and you say, you know what, I'm going to get them this year. Can't get in front of that, that train. Last week, $20 billion came into the spiders. That just goes to show you how much is in passive investing. And they own, obviously, the S&P 500. I wouldn't get in front of that. All right. No, that's exactly right. I mean, passive investing, I mean, think about Apple. We talk about it all the time, the amount of ETFs and the amount of funds the stock is in. If, if In the absence of any news, money's just going to flow in, and they are the recipient, and they're rewarded for it. The same works the other side, though. When passive becomes active, which we've seen before, that's when things get dicey. All right, let's talk about a real lagging sector. Uh, biotech, Corona Therapeutics <laughs> surging nearly 48% as Bristol-Myers announces a deal to buy the schizophrenia drug maker for $14 billion. The IBB getting a big pop on the back of today's news. Wall Street firm Jeffrey sees more deals ahead for the space in 2024. Michael Yee is a senior biotech analyst at the firm and joins us now. Michael, great to have you with us. We've been talking about um, some bigger dynamics in the market, which theoretically could benefit biotech, that is, you know, rotation into value, uh, declining interest rates next year. Is that going to be enough? Because we, we thought that maybe there were times when M&A seemed to make sense, and yet it never benefited biotech. Well, it's great to be here. I think there are two positive tailwinds. The first is, particularly for the small and mid-cap biotechs or the XBI, you guys pull up that chart. That has been a big dog for three years. We finally get a little move here over the past six weeks. And I think it's the early cycle of a forward-looking uh, easing rate environment. And I think that that is going to be a positive tailwind and certainly one of the sectors that should be a beneficiary if you think about long-duration interest rate sensitive areas, uh, cash flowing biotechs are one. The second positive tailwind, which we had a note out today, I think you mentioned it, and we saw it right here today, is more M&A. You've got over 100 billion of cash sitting at Big Pharma. You had Bristol deploying 14 today. Pfizer's got to do more, et cetera, et cetera. And with all of these stocks beaten down, I think you see valuations attractive. I think that's another positive tailwind going into 24. 
What are some of the themes in terms of, uh, you know, what is going to drive M&A? This was a neurosciences deal. Neurosciences is one of the fastest growing areas within uh, pharma in general. About 9 percent, I think, globally a year is the growth there. Um, but also weight loss, I would imagine. What are some of the other things that we should be looking for? Uh, absolutely. I think uh, theme number one certainly is in the obesity metabolic space. There were two $2 billion deals just in the past month, Roche and AstraZeneca buying some obesity uh, early stage assets. I think you're going to see more of that. Scholar Rock, SRRK, is one of the ones. Take a look at that one that has room to run this year. I think in oncology, certainly still a big place to be Immunicore, IMCR. That was one we listed in our table as well. And I think you're right, CNS Neurology. Sarah Bell was taken out last week. Prothena, P-R-T-A, another one, if the data in Alzheimer's are good. Uh, but if the Alzheimer's data is good coming up, I think that's one to watch as well. they got a partnership with Bristol. Which are the big pharmas uh, that will be most pressured to do the deals? Obviously, the ones that are facing patent cliffs, and it seems like almost all of them are at this point. <clears throat> well, I think there's two things to remember. One is, yes, the patent cliffs. And I think uh, both Merck and Bristol, and certainly, again, I know Pfizer's done a deal but Gilead, another one that I think we want to see doing more deals, is one. But let's not forget IRA. IRA is the first year here where price negotiations are going to start. We're going to hear about this in February. We do think biotech probably takes a little bit of a pause. I think it's a little bit overbought, but goes higher. And I think IRA is certainly going to be on the minds of people. We got price negotiation. We got prices coming down 20, 30 percent. They need to do more deals. There's a whole theme about why small and mid-cap has to be taken out over the next year or two. Hey, Michael, it's Tim. Thanks for joining us. We know what GLP meant for the pharma space in 2023. What, what, is, that, uh, what is that area of 24 that you think is going to be that new area that really is pushing up valuations and multiples? Is there anything? Is it Alzheimer's? Is it more GLP? Uh, your thoughts? Yeah, yeah, look, I think GLP and obesity is a once in a generation type thing. I mean, guys, if it was uh, all uh, uh, obesity now, maybe you talked about hep C, which was just about 10 years ago, and probably statins a decade before that. Uh, so these are the big classes. And I think what's important is that these cycles don't end in a year. You know, you talked about how 2023 was GLP. I don't think that ends in a year. I think you still see that as an important driver for Lilly, which is continuing to be a winner. I think people want to continue to own stuff like that. Astra, Roche. Others, Amgen, let me call out my favorite large cap stock because they're in a phase two for a big obesity drug with data in 2024. That's a monthly, not a weekly like Lily. So check that one out. And I think you're going to see this play out over the next year or two. Um, neurology, I think, still continues to be Alzheimer's is going to take some time to open up. But that is a huge untapped area. We're continuing to see uh, uh, M&A there. That is a huge global epidemic that needs to be addressed. Yeah, I mean, the calendar of, uh, in terms of data readouts for trials related to GLP-1s for treatments of various diseases, it's really nonstop uh, next year. But in terms of Amgen, um, that key data is going to be due out in the second half of the year. So when do you want to start owning it? That's great. Look, it's funny because everybody on Wall Street knows if you've been following Amgen and they've been saying that their big data for the once a month injectable is at the end of 24. So everybody comes to me and says, Mike, why do I have to buy this stock today? Well, if everybody knows it's end of 24, then maybe it's by summer. Uh, so, uh, or, or if it's the stock to own for 24 in large cap biotech because of this obesity angle, then maybe people just start buying it at the beginning of the year. So I'm a buyer on the dips if we do have a pullback here at the beginning of the year for biotech. 
Uh, but I think that's one to watch because I don't think the obesity story ends this year. Michael, great to have you. Thank you so much. Thanks. Michael Yee of Jeffries. Uh, that was your play, right? Yes. Amgen hasn't moved the way that the others in that space have moved. And and to what Michael said, we're talking about a once a month injectable. That's a, probably a game changer. And as we move towards that, it's probably going to even be better than that. I'd rather have the name that hasn't moved yet, and Amgen's one of them. If you look at IQVIA, which I think it's the eighth largest holding, if we have a chart, little double bottom, seemingly getting some traction. Vertex is the largest holding in the IBB. That stock has been parabolic. So you're trying to find stocks, I think, that haven't had to move yet. Steve mentioned Amgen. I'll throw IQVIA in the mix. Michael and his note mentions uh, the severe underweighting towards biotech. Courtney, where are you on biotech? I do think that is likely going to be another category that will benefit from um, lower interest rates, um, especially it is going to have more M&A. I think you do want to look at companies where um, the patent expiring is going to be a big deal for a lot of these companies. So even if they are scooping up other um, other firms, it needs to more than offset what they're losing. I think that's really what you need to keep in mind. Yeah, and, and we've we've talked a lot about Pfizer. I've certainly talked about it. Talk about a, a patent cliff and pipelines that people are very concerned about. Bristol Myers is rewarded today for doing something. They're 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 right in that camp, and and you have to be careful about value traps in healthcare. I mean, trades at seven and a half times next year. Is that a reason to go buy Bristol? Well, analysts think that this is part of, you know, them giving the excitement around pipeline that gets them into 2030. That's still a little ways out. So it, it, this is where we are. Biotech, great point, Courtney. It is a place where longer duration assets are being bid up, high multiple anything. Uh, in the case of some of these Companies in the IBB, these are massive companies with big, big balance sheets. I don't think you're taking a lot of risk in terms of that, and you're probably going to be finally rewarding those balance sheets. Up next, running on empty, Nike dropping into negative territory for the year after hitting the market with a weak outlook and $2 billion in cost cuts. Is this just a Nike problem or a broader warning about the consumer? We'll debate that. Plus, is China set to launch a new Internet crackdown in Beijing, proposing restrictions on online gaming? The news crushing names like Tencent. Could this be the start of new pain for the Chinese tech sector? We'll stick around to find out. This is Fast Money with Melissa Lee right here on CNBC. You seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. 
Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Nike tumbling nearly 12% after the athletic apparel giant slashed its outlook and announced a three-year, $2 billion cost-cutting plan. CFO Matt Friend on the earnings call said overseas headwinds and a slowdown in digital traffic are part of the reason the company needs this, quote-unquote, disciplined cost management. A host of other names in the sports space getting hit today, Foot Locker, Adidas, Dick's Academy, and Hibbit Sports. So, is this a Nike problem or a broader warning sign about the consumer? Um, Tim, what's your take on the on the earnings? It's both. It, there's mm-hmm. no question it's both. And, and I'm underway consumer discretionary for next year, for sure. Um, Nike's best of breed. But there's, I mean, God, you wear these Hoka shoes. What are yeah, they? I Hoka's? do. Hoka's. Hoka's. Yeah, Hoka's. Or I mean, on. like, there's actually, there actually are brands out there that are stealing the thunder. And it's not just, you know, what's going on at Lulu and whatnot. So um, there is competition outside of the Jordan space. There's there's concern Nike's really not innovating. There's concern of u- ubiquity in the lower price levels of the Jordans. Um, as a guy who went out and bought his kids some for Christmas, I was oh, happy to spoil that. Oh. Good job. Do you think he's watching? I mean, Bad every money. night. You know what, Connor? If you are watching and you confront me with this when I get home, I'm buying you two pairs. Okay. <laughs> oh, Good I for hope you. Connor's <laughs> yeah, watching. I'm buying you two <laughs> pairs. But I, I, I think uh, what we're seeing from the street right now is a combination. Again, when I'm looking at downgrades today off of those Nike numbers, they're blaming the company, but they're absolutely blaming the trends and they're downgrading the whole space. This is a handful of shops, and I think it's right. Yeah. Um, China was also very weak yesterday, which could point to trouble for some other retailers. Yeah, and that, that's specifically where Nike is uh, pointing out their weaknesses in Europe and in China, which I think is something to look at. Um, and I do think it is broadly on the consumer. There is con- some concern they're going to be weaker next year. But I think it's really a changing of shifts of how they're spending. And they're, after COVID, everybody started spending on experiences rather than goods. And we thought, OK, this is going to normalize after COVID ends. But it's not normalized. That is still a trend that's happening. And I think you're going to likely gonna continue to see that happen. So I don't think it's broadly bad for the consumer. Likely for consumer discretionary, it might be. Um, but I wouldn't write off the consumer. I mean, wages are cooling, but inflation's cooling faster. So people's wages are actually still being able to um, mm-hmm. sustain, which is good. And inflation is coming down more broadly. So theoretically, you do have more money in your pocket because you're not spending on gasoline and eggs and Agreed. these other things. You know, but, you know, as Tim has mentioned this many times, Nike, regardless of all their growth, it's still a North American story in terms yes. of where their revenues are. And that was disappointing. We touched on it last night. I think the good news, if there's good news here, is in terms of where the stock is and where it's been historically, this was a $175 stock a couple of years, November of 2021. Not that that matters necessarily, but they've had a premier multiple for a long time. That multiple is actually getting to levels where you can wrap your head around it a little bit. We talked last night somewhere between 105 and 108. I didn't think it would happen today, but here we are. So the question is not where you're selling Nike. I think it's where you're trying to get back in on the long side. And, and they're just, Tim, Tim started out saying just their brand. They, they have the biggest brand. They don't even have a, a nearby competitor, but it is such a global brand that that's what drags them down. So even though Guy points out that North America is the key to the story, China's the, China's the directionality of the story. So all China has to do is get a little little bit better and it's going to be a lot better for Nike. The problem is when we're trading with this type of momentum in the name, it went from 80 to 120 something. So if you want to retrace that 50 percent, maybe it's around guys level. You look for around one hundred dollars to one hundred and five dollars where people start to the algorithms will kick in to try to buy the stock on technicals. Are you looking to yes. get back in? I'm looking to own it lower. I think the first place you start looking at guys brought you know some some key levels on the charts. But I, I think it's somewhere around the ninety five area. And, you know, maybe you don't get there. Remember, this is a stock that moved 40 percent off of that October one level uh, after an earnings period that really was very strong. So I I think you're going to get a lower. I think the whole space and discretionary got to be careful. 
All right, there's a lot more Fast Money to come. Here's what's coming up next. Inside China's latest crackdown, investors are sounding the alarm as the gaming industry becomes President Xi's latest target. We'll dive into what it means for your money with a top expert next. Plus, we're answering your burning questions to kick off the holiday weekend. Chipotle, cloud stocks, and quantum computing. You asked, we'll answer. Right after this, you're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T-Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Welcome back to Fast Money. We are taking your stock questions on this Friday ahead of Christmas. Merry mm. Christmas. <laughs> We've sourced questions from all over the country and on social media. The first one is from the energy patch on the energy sector. Hey, Fast Money. This is Bobby from Louisiana. I work in the pipeline industry and own some midstream stocks such as energy transfer, enterprise, and one With the new year approaching, it's now a good time to buy, sell, or hold. Literally from the energy patch. Um, Tim. Wow. I mean, that guy's wearing hard hat. Is he straight coming off a rig? I mean, this is a lot of pressure. I mean, he that guy knows what he's talking about. First of all, energy transfer. I own that stock. My energy basket would be Chevron, Total Energy, Schlumberger, and ET, or energy transfer. And, and to me, it's a combination of you get very, very tax-efficient divs in the space, especially in the MLP space. ET, I think the balance sheet is, is, is very interesting. I love what's going on in the offshore drilling space. Uh, and we talked about it already earlier in the show. I just I feel like energy equities are cheap relative to themselves. I, I realize there are macro problems out there. I want to own equity. What would be in your basket, Guy? My basket's PSX Marathon. He looked like Bruce Willis. Remember in the movie? Uh, think so. Remember that movie? He plays the driller and he goes and he gets on the asteroid. You're asking and he, me, do I know a movie? Energy transfer, <laughs> despite the run that it's had, I don't know if we have a chart, but it's been a huge run over the last three years. It's still look at that. Look at that. Oh, Bruce. man. He looks like he's a dude. Cool. I hope he's watching. He's, he's definitely like watching. Kidding me? It's still awesome. reasonable on valuation. So I would stay with your ET. All right. Uh, next question here comes from X. Jason wants to know about Rivian. He says, I'm really impressed with Rivian for my next vehicle, but can only afford shares for my long portfolio. Hold any advice? Uh, Steve, you had been in Rivian. Where are you still? I am not in Rivian right now. I bought it around the $18 level. I caught that spike higher, but I sold it with a 22 handle on it. So I missed a little bit of the action here. I, I think that it's about cash on their balance sheet. It's about their EV production. They're still a distant second to Tesla. Tesla still holds that marquee name. I will get back in. I just have to have it sell off a little bit. I think I'm going to get a chance. Uh, would you rather, Steve, mm. uh, just to follow up on this, Tesla or Rivian? Tesla. I, I think Tesla with the charging uh, map that they have across the United States where everyone bought into their charging standard, that's going to be untapped revenue for them. Their product lineup, they have been able to cut prices where the rest of the space can't cut price. They cut price to gain share. I think that's going to be the story. And I think the amount of money they're going to pull in off their charging is going to be something that no one has even thought about. All right, next question. CT 
wants to know about fintech asking block. It's had a huge run, but I'm still underwater. Should I bail or will it keep climbing? Uh, Guy, what do you say? Well, I mean, it has had a huge run. I think it traded down to 40 at 70-something now. But J.P. Morgan just raised their price target, I think, to 90 bucks. I think there's a chance that it gets there. That has been resistance before. I don't necessarily, and Karen would agree with this, doesn't matter if you're underwater, overwater, whatever water you're in. It only matters where the stock's going, and I think it's got about $13 a room to the upside from here. Are you in the fintech water, Courtney? <laughs> <laughs> at all. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we're always well diversified, so I'm absolutely going to have a piece of it. Again, that's that's not one of the areas I'm chasing right now, but yes, we absolutely want to own that. Yeah, Tim. Uh, look, after 100% move, I think this is one of the great beneficiaries of high multiple tech stocks blooming. I, look, their cash app is still a place that's drawing. Uh, I think I would rather own in the space. I'd rather own PayPal. All right, coming up, China's proposed gaming crackdown ringing alarm bells for investors. Could this be the start of a host of new controlling measures by Beijing on businesses in China? We'll ask a top expert all about it. Plus, we will be taking more of your burning questions. We'll tackle everything from the fast food trade to quantum computing. We won't ask Guy that one, though. Please. Much more Fast Money right after this. Missed a moment of fast? Catch us anytime on the go. Follow the Fast Money podcast. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money Stocks. Uh, end the week with a mixed finish. The Dow ticking slightly lower, dragged down by Nike. The S&P finishing slightly higher, locking in its longest weekly winning streak since 2017. And the Nasdaq closing in the green, too, ending the week up 1.2%. Disney shares falling despite Bank of America doubling down on its buy rating, saying its best-in-class premier assets like theme parks should see robust demand in 2024. And American Express finishing the week at a new 52-week high. The credit card company now up nearly 25% this quarter. Well, Chinese tech stocks broadly lower today after regulators in Beijing proposed new rules to crack down on how much the consumers can spend using online gaming apps. Companies like NetEase, Tencent and Bilibili all got hit hard today. Our next guest believes the latest proposed rules add to a climate of uncertainty for businesses and investors in China. DeWardrick McNeil is managing director at Longview Global and a CNBC contributor. DeWardrick, always good to have you with us. Um, And and this really is, is squarely focused, you know, when you first look at the headlines, you think about the American gaming companies, really no impact on the U.S. gaming companies. This is all about the homegrown gaming companies in China, which makes it even more dramatic. Um, how, how much of a parallel is there between what is happening here in gaming and what had happened, let's say, with Alibaba and some of the other tech giants a couple of years ago? Well, thanks for having me, Melissa. Always good to see you. Let me start by saying I was actually surprised by the substantial reaction uh, that the markets had to what are essentially draft regulations. This this process is open for public comment, Melissa, until January the 22nd. So that's a month from today. But what it says to me, th- this reaction says to me that companies have an apprehension about the efficacy of China's regulatory uh, public comments process. And, and this is a challenge that investors believe that a draft regulation means this is where the regulators, the government wants to take an industry and it's best for them to get there and get there quickly. And this rapid adaptation, Melissa, will have an impact on the bottom line. If these companies are able to change their revenue model to the point where they can earn revenue in this new regulatory environment, the question remains, Melissa, as we saw with the tech industry, is this it or is there something else to come? And so when are we going to have a stable regulatory environment 
where a new normal has been established. And without that, it's going to be extremely difficult to have a long-term plan. And this will impact uh, companies' bottom lines in this industry. Dwardrick, it's Tim. I think your your analysis of the market response is interesting. And, you know, I think you've got a great call on this. Um, but isn't this, didn't you kind of answer your own question? It's almost like that's exactly right. Investors are um, questioning this this process. And, and it's fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me in China right now. And, and we've seen the attacks on Tencent. I mean, Tencent to me seems to be in the crosshairs of multiple sectors that seem to be, you know, seen as strategic priorities, strategic industries. Obviously, the cyber dynamic of 18 months ago or two years ago was one that really took down BABA and Tencent aggressively. But as you drill into things like gaming, and, and it just seems to me that there is no place to understand where it stops. As someone that's been investing in EM, I, I've seen this go on in different countries where the government was going sector by sector. That's what it feels like. Yeah, I think you're right, Tim. Look, I, I will say I'll, I'll give the investors uh, in this space a little bit of credit because it's been a whipsaw. So late 2021, we saw a heavy crackdown. Uh, this year, we saw some games being approved. And so it was, uh, we were unsure whether or not we were done, but I think today we got a real signal that we're not done. And so it's very hard to call in these sectors. And it may mean for investors that once a sector is targeted, no matter how moderate the regulatory environment may be, that they back off because they don't know what's coming. And that's what makes this so challenging, I think, for investors and companies trying to operate in this environment. So there's uncertainty for investors uh, when it comes to the regulatory environment. Uh, and then there's also uncertainty because of politics. The Taiwan elections are in January. How much of that is going to be um, a reason for the U.S. And, and China to tussle once again? Well, I think you've seen the Biden administration try their best to put a floor. And I do indicate a, uh, a floor under the relationship, understanding how challenging the 2024 environment will be starting in January with the uh, election, presidential elections in Taiwan. And if the DPP, the Democratic Progressive Party, the current ruling party wins again, Melissa, I think we're going to have to really see how China responds to this. They don't have uh, the greatest uh, they don't have the greatest respect for uh, the current ruling party. But it's looking like it will be the DPP's election to lose. And so right in January, we're going to get a real sense of how China is going to play this. And this will have an impact on U.S.-China relations going into a November U.S. presidential election. So it's going to be a volatile 2024. So I think investors should keep that in mind. Just quickly to Wardrick, do you think President Biden or any congressional leaders call the winner of the Taiwan elections? Call me well, like pick up we, the phone. Uh, yeah, I, I'm familiar with what Trump did, which certainly broke uh, tradition. I don't expect that we will see that uh, from this administration. I think that was an anomaly. We survived that. That was a very, very provocative move. Many people will argue. I don't expect we will see that from the Biden administration. All right. DeWardrick, thanks. Happy holidays. DeWardrick McNeil of Happy Longview. Happy holidays, Melissa. Okay. Well, I mean, we talked about it the other night. Part of the sell-off, let's say, Fred, Wednesday sell-off or two, whenever it was, was on the back of probably the headlines that came out that a few weeks ago, President Xi and President Biden spoke, and President Xi said, by any means necessary, we will take Taiwan. That came out this week. The FXI, and I, if you look at this, precariously close to breaking down. 21 and a half was that recent low. You go back 15 years, that was another low. We closed at 23, lower on the day. I think that's telling you something without question. We can't discount what's going on in China in terms of what it means for our markets here. 
Coming up, a studio shakeup. Lionsgate planning to spin out its studio business and split from stars. All the details on the studio's premiere plans next. And later, we're taking more of your pressing investing questions. Have a stock pick on your mind? Send us an X at CNBC Fast Money, and we might answer your question live on air. Back right after this. What was my ambition when I was starting out? Survival. I love the word ambition. Ambition is passion. It's a key ingredient of greatness. To me, ambition is being undaunted by the impossible. I'm ambitious for the nation. I'm ambitious for its people. I'm ambitious for my people. My ambition has always been to seek the truth. To learn as much as I possibly could. To make an impact. I believe in dreaming big. I always have. My ambition is to show gratitude. Yes. Ambition. It's got America written all over it. Ambition really is the foundation of capitalism. I wanted to do great things in this country. My ambition is to do very well in business and to take those profits and recycle back in society to try to make the world a better place. Everything can be a reality. I see ambition everywhere. In many ways, ambition, human ambition, is what drives the world. Welcome back to Fast Money. Lionsgate announcing today it will spin out its studio business in a SPAC deal with Screaming Eagle Acquisition Corp. The deal values the newly created Lionsgate Studios at $4.6 billion and is expected to close in the spring. Lionsgate media business, including its Stars streaming service, will not be part of the deal. So there will be standalone Stars and standalone Lionsgate Studios, which frees each piece up to be acquired either in part or in total. So this is sort of an interesting unwind of this deal with stars that had been done in 2016. Seemingly, I was going to say like 10 years ago, so I was off, obviously, but it seems like forever ago and maybe maybe start getting critical mass. But how do you trade these stocks? I wouldn't even know to begin to whether LGFA or LGFB had to sort of value these things. What I will say, and we talked about it the other night, uh, this Warner Brothers Paramount thing, neither I don't understand how that benefits anybody. And you saw how Disney traded today on the back of an upgrade. Space is in trouble. I, I, I'll take the other side of that just to say that I think things are in play. I mean, I think you've been waiting a long time for M&A in the space, and I think there's now uh, there is private equity that's specialized again. You know, whether it's it's uh, the the Redbirds or the Chernin groups or really really smart private equity that are in the space already. Uh, but I I think you've gone through this period where we know uh, legacy TV's been priced to nothing, and yet there's somebody that wants those assets. Those are brands. Those are stations. We know what's going on with streaming profitability. Kind of like it. Yeah, I mean, think of uh, an Apple maybe looking for some studio action or a Sony or some, I mean, before nobody wanted the stars part. They're free of the stars part now. And I think this is the time where where that can happen, especially because of the actor strike and because of the writer strike. Um, if you're not putting out content, I mean, that is going to be trouble for the space right now. So it's it's really prime for some of those mergers and acquisitions. I think everything that we're seeing in the space really lets you know how valuable the Netflix uh, prospects are for them. And I was not a, a believer in that. I thought once the actor strike was going to resolve itself, I thought the stock would cave. We saw a little bit of a pullback. But all the things that we've heard since then leads more of a tailwind, in my mind, towards the Netflix. All right. Coming up, even more Fast Request Live. It is your chance, your last chance for today, at least, to send in your burning questions. Head to X, tweet us, or post to us at CNBC Fast Money. We might just answer your question on air. More Fast Money right after this. 
Welcome back to Fast Money. We are taking more of your questions. This comes from a viewer in Oregon who is curious about a Fast Money fast food favorite. Hey, Fast Money. My question is about Chipotle. It's one of my core positions has been on a tear this year with a 60% increase year to date and 20% up in the past two months. It's now 9% weighting in my portfolio. The PE has been stretched out to 53, has a lot of good growth. What should I do? Let it ride or should I trim some? Thanks. Well, the run has really been a burrito <laughs> blowout sure this has. year. Uh, emphasis Guy. on run. So it's a it's a huge exactly no pun intended yeah, it's a to it's a, listen it's a great company valuation has been a concern for a thousand dollars at least in terms of the name but if it's a nine percent of your portfolio you got to whittle it down to probably five or six percent they report on February sixth the stock has pulled back over time I still love the name I think Wedbush just downgraded it but if you're worried about valuation there are other names to worry about more I like CMG still. Let's say, Courtney, that you do whittle it down, but you want to put that money back into fast food or some sort of restaurant name. Where would you go? Um, I think a few. I think McDonald's is a good name to look at. Um, I don't know if Starbucks actually counts as fast food, but I actually think that would be another name that you want to look at here because I I think you're going to continue to see that customer loyalty in both places. All right. Our next question comes from a viewer in New Jersey on FinTech. Hey, Fast Money. My name's Kyle from Ocean City, New Jersey. Their CEO said that they'll be profitable at their next earnings report. And with the Fed lowering interest rates in 2024, what do you guys think of SoFi Technologies? Thank you. Thank you, Kyle from New Jersey. Uh, Courtney, your thoughts on SoFi? SoFi has done fantastic. It's, uh, I think, almost 110% so far this year. It has done really well, which is mainly because they have had such a a tremendous amount of growth this year, um, specifically acquiring customers. But the question, I think, when you're asking is what happens when interest rates go down? Higher interest rates actually benefited them because they're offering good deposits to customers, and that's really able to attract them. So I think seeing if they can actually maintain such a high growth rate when interest rates come down is going to be interesting to see. So, so far, they aren't profitable. If that changes, I think that might be a different story. I would proceed with a little caution after such a big run up here. What was Kyle doing out there in the woods? I was, I mean, that was, I don't know. That's great ink, like though, he was, Kyle. you know, taking a walk or something, Seemed, being with nature. There are many reasons why one might venture yeah, outside. All right. Mr. City Slicker. You have to no good. There he is. Doesn't look yeah. like Ocean City, I'll tell you that. <laughs> It's like a little anyway, river behind So him. now we're going to make fun of our viewers. We're not making yeah, fun of them. That's good. It's got <laughs> this great ink. In the He's out in the woods okay. taking a walk. We'll move on here. <laughs> Viewer from Texas who has a question about Snowflake. Hey, Fast Money. It's Trey in Texas. We Snowflake investors asked CEO Frank Slootman to deliver us a green Christmas, and did he ever. However, at a $65 billion market cap and trading at 25 times sales, I will admit the company is currently modestly overpriced. My question is, will we grow into this generous valuation or should I move into small caps as legend Tom Lee suggested? Thank you, Trey, for your question. Steve, what do you tell him? Well, I do like Tom Lee, but when you look at this stock, they've done a lot of things to perform well. If you look on a long dated chart, that's not long enough. If you go further back, the stock chart looks terrible. But they've been doing all of the right things. The problem is they can't gain any market share because people are going with AWS or going with Microsoft. So I don't know if you go with uh, small cap, but I wouldn't be a buyer here. Trey's right. $64 billion billion market cap sitting on top of $3.5 billion of revenue. It's expensive. If we have a chart, Trey, going back to August of 22, you will see that we stopped on a dime right where the stock is trading now. So 
Yes, the CEO delivered, but I think now's the time to sort of be taking some money off the table. All right. Our next viewer hails from Georgia. She's got a question on quantum computing. Hi, Fast Money. It's Kate. Out of these four companies, I'm really interested in quantum computing. IBM, Google, Microsoft, or Honeywell. Which one's your favorite? Thanks, and Happy New Year to everyone. Same to you, Kate, and thank you for your question. Um, Tim, Kate might be in the same backyard. By the way, yeah. Kate, you, your, your dogs were robbed. I mean, the bulldog should be in the BCS. Mm. I don't know what happened, but you deserve better than that. Um, I think Microsoft and Google, uh, again, when I think about cloud, when I think about quantum computing, when I think about AI on steroids, I think about the companies that have the investments and that are making money now. Um, I, and those are the names that are also, I look at Google, I look at that chart, and I see outperformance. You think about quantum computing a lot? All the time. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't. <laughs> Fast. When he's Fast not thoughts. thinking about his vest, yeah. he's thinking about quantum computing. <laughs> um, we are actually talking about quantum computing during the break, about how we don't really think about quantum computing too much. But, Guy, you made the good point that, you know, or even you did too, that IBM should theoretically be, the, they were first in a lot of things. But throw, you think they're going to take the, you know, throw up an IBM. Are we allowed to mention 60 Minutes? I don't know what the rules are. Just did. said it. Well, I just but said I it. But the they, did a, they did a I great story. On a, yeah. But look at an IBM chart. This very quietly is at a six-year high, a stock that a lot of people left for dead, except Sandy Canold, who has it in his anagram or an or whatever. Is it like Swift or something like that? Something like that. But IBM is the place to be still. I think he only put IBM in because he needed an I in Swift. Mm. Yes. Well, it works. I mean, but it works. Good for I don't him. care why. I mean. But is, is right. what about uh, what's your acronym again, John? Uh, Mo. <laughs> that was like two, <laughs> two, two years ago. ago. <laughs> when do we do? It's almost acronym time, it's right? I mean, January. Uh, when January, are we tallying up? When do we tally? I think I'm, I think I'm in the hunt this year. I think Maybe. I'm in the hunt. Four year companies are out of business. Final. Break. <laughs> what are you talking about? Late. <laughs> <laughs> Time for the final trade. Tim and his vest, what do you say? Yeah, I'm going back to Bobby, and he nailed it on, on his uh, his midstream, but also energy transfer. I like energy here. I like the space. Steve? Ethereum Trust up 315% year-to-date. I think it still, believe it or not, has more gas left in the tank. Courtney? Alibaba, I know there's a lot of issues with regulations right now, but price are based back to IPO levels despite 10% in, uh, fold increase in revenue, um, 5% increase in um, earnings. Take a look at it. Guy. A lot of fun here, Melms. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas to everybody. Medtronic's getting a little bounce here. MDT. Yep. I'll see you in the new year. Thank you for watching Fast Money. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.